नमस्कार माय नेम इज सौरभ नंदा एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ सच कॉन्वर्सेशंस मैटर टुडेज गेस्ट इज मिस्टर प्रियांक शर्मा इट्स अ स्पेशल एपिसोड बिकॉज प्रियांक इज आल्सो एन एजुकेटेड लाइक माइसेल्फ बट दैट्स नॉट इट ही इज आल्सो फ्रॉम द सेम कॉलेज एज आई एम ही डिड इज इंजीनियरिंग फ्रॉम एनआईटी जलंधर फ्रॉम 2008 एंड दैट इज वेयर आर जर्नीज आर वेरी सिमिलर आफ्टर कॉलेज ही वेंट ऑन टू डू हिज कॉर्पोरेट career stint didn't really enjoy it then chose to do a masters degree in psychology and social work from uh, one of the best universities in india tata institute of social sciences after that he did a counseling certificate from ncert and most recently he completed his mphil from nipa the national institute of education planning and administration in new delhi nipa is a very important institute and we are going to discuss more about it in the interview Before COVID-19 he was going on to the US in the University of Kansas to com- uh, pursue his PhD uh, in one of the most unique topics research topics that I've heard uh, in recent uh, past his research topic basically relates to the side effects of the current education systems so you can imagine how the conversation is going to go we're going to ask a lot of questions about the education system how it's developed how it's shaped and what needs to be done and a lot of questions which mostly are never asked So without wasting any more time let me invite Priyank uh, to such conversations matter. Hi Priyank. Hey sir. Good yeah. How are you? Kaise chal raha? All good, all good. The same old. I think ab to it it it's it's become such a monotonous thing now the COVID-19 lockdown that I can't really remember when there was a normal period. What about you? How are things in Delhi? <laughs> Delhi mein aise it good uh, actually statistically speaking to dekha jaye to you know the cases number of active cases are coming down and the daily cases number is also coming down but i don't know like you know if you hear from people the it, it, it it's only growing so the picture is little kind of a hazy you know let's, yeah. let's see it is it is i think uh, in the near future i will have to do an episode on covid 19 i will probably get somebody to talk about it well anyway uh priyank thank you so much for being on the show and taking out time to do this and uh, it's it's a privilege to have you here uh, thanks to you sarav i think uh, it's a privilege for me as well for you to be called for the discussion <laughs> and i'm really looking forward to it great man um okay so let's let's begin the interview and uh, i i think i've i've already told my viewers that uh, priyank is also from the same college uh, that i am <laughs> and i have a very unique story of getting into engineering i'm sure you do too so please share with us how did you end up becoming an engineer what is your unique story i i don't know unique but i think most of us have the have a similar kind of a story where i think you know we thought of becoming engineer not in an engineer thought of going to an nit mostly right is not becoming engineer such it was about going to an nit so being good in certain subjects had uh, given me the privilege to crack an entrance exam and then since i got a seat into an nit which was given in engineering i'm sure if it was giving a psychology degree i would have pursued psychology that wouldn't have made a difference so it was more into getting a, a brand of nit and going to college for becoming engineer so i think uh, scoring well somehow getting a rank which fetched me in nit was the sole reason for pursuing engineering All right, all right. Well, that makes sense. Actually, a lot of students uh, do get into that, and today we are going to discuss a lot about those things only. Um, so, after engineering, how did you decide to get into education? Uh, I think uh, this question has. अब तो मेरे को रट्टा तो याद हो गया अभी. ऐसे तो बोल बोल के. Okay, uh, I don't know where to begin, but let's start from the beginning. What happened was after my engineering, I got into got a corporate job, which ideally was. uh you know an it company so i had already plans of leaving my engineering because i knew that you know though academically i was doing best so academically if you see my grades i was in the top 10 in the class but uh, somehow i knew that engineering is not my cup of tea so i had to switch so getting into the corporate i had a lot of time because i was on bench in the it so there i started finding courses finding new places where i could do something interesting and so there was an exclusive course in chess guwahati uh which is ma social work in counseling so which really appealed me. i you know I, i was not of the idea that i'll really but get to the course but somehow i did so the idea was that you know 
since I, I was not knowing what exactly to do after 12th grade. And, uh, you know, most of us don't have an idea. So maybe I'll work in the same field. You know, something, the education system as such never asked me to think what I want to do. There was no, there was not even a line of thought. So I thought maybe I'll work in the same area and in the education sector and, you know, ask students, help students to figure out what they want to do. And that. So for that, I thought, okay, maybe, a, you know, basic understanding of psychology is needed. So, I, and social work and counseling is, an, is a, you know, is a very good start for that. So I pursued that course and later I worked for a year in a, in a, in the rural parts of um, Maharashtra, Haryana, in Punjab, into career consulting. And then I thought, okay, maybe I'll, I should get more knowledge in the psychology sector. I did a diploma course in guidance. Then again, I worked for a year. Now what I started realizing was that, you know, somewhere there are two ways to look at it. One, there is a gap in the education system in terms of uh, what you want to do and your education system is not able to help you in that. So one thing, you with your work, you fill that gap. Another thing is, with your work, you exploit that gap and commercialize it. So for me, it was more of that. You know, I was kind of exploiting it and commercializing it. So, you know, I thought maybe I should work in the grass too. And why not work in the education where the problem lies? So from there, I thought, okay, well, I should get to education. And then I started pursuing my MPhil integrated PhD with NEPA. Mm -hmm. So this is how I landed up in education. Wow. Well, well, it is it is very interesting to know that because I, I share the passion that, that you have, you know, going into the grassroots and, you know, helping uh, develop the country and uh, the people in it. Um, and I think a lot of lot of engineers uh, from colleges like uh, NITs, IITs also have a similar feeling of, you know, working for the government or working for the country, basically, not even for the government, but for the country. But somehow, somewhere it gets lost. Right? Have you lost that yet, or is it still strong and you're still working towards it? Uh, that, that's a very good question. You know, I think um, both yes and no because the problem with getting back into academics is what somewhere what, a lot of things which I've lost. You know, when you have a coercion to do something in even if it be in education, because earlier to this course, this whole affair of simple PhD, I was a lot into traveling, I was a lot into reading, and there was a lot of things I was doing in education already. You know. I, I was thinking of projects, researches, and everything. But somehow, when I went to the whole uh, process of MPhil PhD, that you know that rigor get uh, somewhere was started getting lost. And you know, I started again questioning. Though I was again doing my MPhil, getting a degree and everything, but again that rigor, you know, they say right, the system changes you and everything. That started having an effect. But I will still say that it is completely not overtaken my passion so uh, we're still in the process let's say which way where which way the boat goes but i think it is still a 50 50 thing let's see okay so priyank i'm going to drill you more why because you're not sharing the complete story see so what you're saying is your mphil and phd journey uh, kind of you know shaved off a lot of passion that you had for working at the grassroots because probably you became mature or probably, uh, you know, you had that bias, uh, which is called the Dunning-Kruger bias, I think, where the smarter you become, yeah, yeah. the knowledgeable you become, then the, the lower confidence you have. Does Did that happen to you? What were the reasons for that? Again, when you see, uh, it is not like I have lost the passion to work in the grassroots. It is more of that I had to do certain things the way my MPhil course demanded, in the manner which they wanted, not in the manner which I wanted to. So, mm. you know, there's a conflict. Mm. So what happened was maybe I want, let's say I wanted to read a book or write a, write a book or do whatever things which I had planned. Somewhere those plans were hit by the whole MPhil coursework. Mm. Mm. I'm not saying that it is not work. I've learned a great deal in my MPhil. You know, I've learned about policies. I've, you know, there is this plethora of knowledge which I've gone through the whole process of MPhil and which I tried to, which has led me to a better understanding the whole education. I'm not saying that it has not given me anything, but the but the whole pattern which has followed with because of the way coercion has come in, where you know the MPhil demanded it, so I had to do it hmm. because that's my own thing of writing. Because I used to do a lot of writing. I had a blog on uh, Facebook, and Facebook is not the right place to have a blog still. But, you know, I used to read, write a lot, I used to read a lot. That way took a sidetrack. 
and then I had to move into the whole MPhil thing as the MPhil COVID departed. That's what I'm trying to say. Hmm. So this has always been a very interesting question for me, and and uh, I've asked a lot of researchers uh, this question. Do you think the structured approach of research kind of kills creativity as well? Ah, uh, that's a, again a good one. See, I think anything which is which is coerced in a manner, you know, kills some part of creativity. Mm. I'm not saying everybody has the same experience, mm. but if you see the basics of it. when you say structure like who built it and for whom it is mm. so there we have to understand this you know if you are having a structure which is built which is you know pre built which is already in 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 shape and the student doesn't have a voice in it there's there's no agency of the student or who is taking part there comes a problem but if you build a structure which is because you need some pathway so if you build a so called structure not a structure as such but if you build a structure which is in Tandem with or in consent with the the person who is going through it, that is where it becomes more in, intriguing. So I think that way it makes will be it will make more sense. Hmm. Okay. And I think uh, something similar happened to the university uh, you are from. Uh, please tell us a little bit about Nupa and how it was the most creative force in the world of education at one point time point of time, especially when it started. And now nobody knows about it. No, I think see, it is not like. Um, Uh, people don't know about it in a in a way because nipa has a has a education being very recent so it's hardly been 12 years when nipa started its education so if you see nipa had a lot of trainings and and other stuff going on with that ministry work going on for for like a lot of time but you know it doesn't come to the common so if you ask any bod or district education officer block educator they everybody will know about nipa they have high respect for nipa but for the common people to know about it for people to pursue it it has to come in the education thing which is a very recent so that is why i think nipa has not had its stake in the education market it's, 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 its name is not established as such because if if you say 2000 let's say late 2000 and then you know first phd batch would have graduated in again bit of this uh, 2010s so it is hardly 5 years when nipa started producing so it will uh graduates phd so, graduates so it will take time i think yes i i mean i i get that part uh, so they've started changing recently i mean nupa was the first university in the world i think it started 1961 if i'm not mistaken and it was funded by the united nations and india was the right. first country to have such a university which was funded by the united nations it was supposed to create education systems for the rest of the world like where did it lose its path over there that's what i'm uh, interested in so no See, the see the objective of NIPA. So I think that was the thing. It was all a planning and administration kind of. So if you see, I there's a one there's one institute in Paris which which is which is on a similar model and NIPA was created with the same idea. But again, I don't think it has lost it as such. But we are what the difference here we are thinking of is the objective, whole objective to the institute. So we see there is UDI's model being created. Nupa has done phenomenal work in creating a portal, you know, bringing data from all the schools across the country to the portal, and you know, somehow they have created structures for people to join those models and the trainings which is happening. Videos, those data portals, those trainings have done phenomenal in in terms of giving to the education system as such. But again, it is at the administration level. So mm. that way, it is doing a great work. But again, at the education level, producing MPhil graduates, PhD graduates who who take the name of nipa to various places where people you know talk about it and everything that is yet to happen because it has not produced a constant number of graduates that's what i'm trying to point it is mm. not that nipa has not been able to do a thing it has done it but again not the way we recognize it all right and i think they, they then they they should uh, definitely need to you know they need to work on their marketing a lot i guess so priyank you know this begs uh like there's there's this question which is back to yas over here which is just you know so important here when we create such uh, organizations and we create education systems uh i mean i'll take the example of india itself you've you've created a system in a country which is well still growing and still developing and by the time you think that the system will go out and reach out into the grassroots level um 
and by the time the, there will be a feedback which will come back to you and tell you whether what is working and what is not working it takes a huge amount of time and there are a lot of gaps in between right but since you're already invested in that system but you're not getting the feedback in time does it force the system to become a self-sustaining organization that boss no you have to live with me you have to let me sustain to give you enough ample results and only then you can think of changing it i think any any system has to have a cyclic flexible thing so if you say when you say anything is input in process mm -hmm. uh, anything is put in implementation mode so it has to come back to the system no system can have a have a rigid idea of knowing things before itself right so when you create a that is the problem i think the core problem which uh, which a lot of systems have is that you know there is a planning which is happening there is a implementation which is happening but it doesn't go back to the planning mode so mm. if you talk about any feedback it has to go back to the system and tell that boss this is not working so for example if you see in indian context if you see after independence there was heavy focus on uh, higher education then secondary education you know we very late realized that you know, without uh, making the foundation of primary education strong we cannot have very uh, you know high quality higher education so that was a very late realization because maybe because the whole economic demanded at that time because we had to open the economy and you know uh, such a low literacy rate and everything so for industrialization to happen modernization to happen we looked at the whole all uh, higher education thing first but i think if you see the system should have realized very early that you know maybe you have put things at stake in higher education fine your the five year plans are talking about it and everything but why not you see that you know primary education uh, is something which need to be foundationally made strong for mm -hmm. this to hold loop to exist i think that way it is very important to have a cyclic kind of a flexible thing in the system okay so do you think our education system uh, has those loops or has that feedback cycle or we still need to do a lot for that i think the any system has to do a lot of things and uh, in in uh, i'm again not saying we cannot you know what we cannot disregard is a lot of efforts being done by a lot of people in the field of education mm -hmm. so it is not like people are not doing it but you know system is is a very complex in itself you know and it it there's no uh, go to solution that okay this is something you do and we are sorted and for a big country like india you know so such a diverse population uh, it is very difficult to have something some examples because you know people usually quote examples of different countries who are doing better who are doing much thing but it is very difficult for us to even look at the country like this you know? mm. because it's at it, it is not just the top leadership will matter the leadership will matter at every level you know it has to flow at every level so it is not like you know even the even if the bottom of the pyramid has has a very good leader and the top doesn't have the rigor of, about it and they don't fund you what can you do and if the bottom the top fund you and the bottom doesn't have a good collaboration again so again i think it's a very complex thing to happen that's very beautifully put man that's that's really uh, well uh, put and that's a lot of insight actually for a lot of educators in india today so priyang what are you doing right now uh, like uh, tell us about your phd and research and other things that you're involved in so i like to read so there are a lot of big books which i've finished in recent times and and uh, i i'm working on my i just submitted my phd paper a certain kind of education is dominating the globe you know mm. i i always say there's a virtual invasion happening you know, there are no armies which which are coming in and you know uh, fighting and taking over the country it's an education system which is telling that your way of knowing because education is nothing but learning right so you learn new things and so just telling people that your way of knowing your way of learning are all inferior and ah we know mm -hmm. it what is better for you and somehow uh, you know the interesting part is there are people who are who are voicing their opinions against it you know about this professor uh, from canada he is a harvard graduate and wade davis so he has been telling how the traditions of people in africa for example are you know are considered super prestigious but are way more important for their kind of living and everything but again you need a harvard degree to tell people that it is it is something which is fine because anybody 
from america comes and tell you that no no we are doing a better you will be discarded you know you will not be considered because you have the authority the voice to say something is right only when you have a degree from a harvard or something like that you cannot yourself say that i belong to this community so i know it this is good for us but that doesn't happen so i think there is a core problem with that so that is why how that is where my phd uh, proposal is revolving around and trying to see how the whole structure is dominating and there is homogenizing of culture and uh, an erection of consumer culture which is getting endangered in the societies mm. well, that's super interesting um are there a lot of people doing this because well it's it's kind of counterproductive right i mean so you research about this and then you want to teach in a university which actually preaches this <laughs> so right, it's right. going against so the think... very tenet so do you think that that's a good uh, career move <laughs> i think that's where the core issue is because because again when i ask myself that you are rejecting certain forms of but i need this education to even reject it you know that that's the core problem so you know i don't know about how the career move is and again lot of there are not a lot of takers of this uh, education uh, this research area in the field of education but i'm also evolving and let's see how it goes i uh, what is the response on a proposal and how do i build it that is something forward but let's see all right so one very interesting question in this so you said there are few people in the world who are researching about yeah. this uh i remember one conversation that we were having the other day and you said you're basically talking you basically going to research about the side effects of the current education system right, right, right. so there are few people researching about it uh there are definitely people in canada and the us as you rightly pointed out are there people in india apart from you who are doing similar research see i think it not exactly this area or not that i know of but again something similar works have been done. so what how people put it is they will not put it as side effect you know, they will not put it that education is leading to something like this you know something bad or because ideally education should not so mm-hmm. they were rather put it as that you know these are the areas we should improve on these are things we should work on and everything what the other way the, the way i contested it is that you know the form of education we have is having some side effect you know it is it is having some really you know bad effect which should be looked at but that is not the way people put it people want to put it in the way that these are the areas which we should improve on so that is a very uh, you know subtle way of putting things but that things are happening but not the direct way or not that i know of well i i, I would love to read uh, you know your research papers in the near future and best of luck uh, for that so thank you moving on to the next set of questions priyank um you have done so much research about the education systems not only in india but also uh, you know education systems around the world uh, what have you discovered uh, you know that the important or very very strange things in our education system which you could only discovered after you research about it anything like that which surprised you uh, i don't know uh, when we say surprised it is a good or a bad thing but again i will move to my with the discussion which we just had I'll just elaborate a little bit on that see when we say education if you go to any person in this country or let's say global education is seen as a panacea as a solution to a lot of problems right whether you say unemployment whether you say poverty say even crazy things witch hunting superstition everything so somehow education is seen as a solution to all of the problems now that is something which is very strange because from where i see it education doesn't is not structured or let's say is not uh, modeled in such a way that it does any of it so uh, let me give an example so i recently wrote a uh, research paper on on suicides and education so not recently last year so what happened was what i did is the ncrb gives you data i think the core uh, core objective goal of education for should be to at least first give us give survival skills to a child you know the child should be able to survive and you survive only then you can do anything mm. so i took up the data ncrb data of last 15 years and uh, where suicide was, uh, suicide data was can, can you tell us the, can you sorry sorry to interrupt you can you tell us about the organization that you're mentioning national crime record bureau okay 
So in that, the second chapter comes as accidents and suicide. In that, the the this this report is being given from 1968, but suicide with respect to the education level of people who are committing suicide has only been happening for last 50 years. That data is only coming from last 50 years. So I, I analyzed that that data. So if you see, there's a very interesting line there. So you know, the rate of suicide is constant. The literacy rate has gone up. Somehow. The rate of suicide is constant. I don't understand. That. Okay, let's just take it. Okay, it is happening. The second is much more interesting. If you see the pupil who are committing suicide, so in 1995, pupil who were committing suicide were mostly illiterate because there were more number of literate. Now, if you see slowly, that group moved to most suicide happening in the category of first primary grade education. That moved to middle grade education. Now it is currently residing in secondary grade. So if you see pupil who are doing suicide. Most of them, if you see them by education level, the level is also increasing with the rise in illiteracy. But look, that does certainly tells you that there is no effect of as such of education on the on the uh, on the conscience of the person to commit mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. Because you know the group which is committing the most suicide is that group. Education level is also increasing. So I think that's a very strange thing. What do you do? You know, what do you? Why do you give education to a child? What is the reason when the child again? It 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 is having literally no effect on the survival skill of the child. Mm. And another thing, if you see the way education is putting it, I am giving you another example. This is if you if you pass twelfth grade, you went to an NIT. So if you see, I don't understand how come physics, chemistry, math can decide you to be an engineer in every field. That is something which we all we all don't understand. That you know that how can I be an engineer just because I am good in physics, chemistry, math? I can be a mechanical engineer also, computer science engineer also, technical any engineer. Just because I am good in physics, all right, that is fine. Now, when you say education is is a tool for curbing unemployment, that is also a crazy idea. Coming out of poverty, there are links. I am not saying again. There are links, links by even given by UN when education has helped people come out of poverty. That that is definitely not discarded. But if you give, if you see it from very subtle logical point of view, when there are let's say ten thousand seats in NIT. Ten lakh students are applying. How much ever you know, brilliant students are. Let's say all ten lakh students are brilliant. You still have ten thousand students who will pass the exam. Never in in your wildest dream that can happen. That you know, those ten thousand one students will be taken. So what you are essentially trying to say is, if a certain education is given to ten lakh students, you will ideally select only ten thousand. So that means you will you will be able to give jobs of certain kind to only ten thousand. You cannot give, you cannot claim that mm. you know it is a solution as such, because now what ideally you are doing is you don't have resources. You know, again, you is a problem. <laughs> you may ask, but you know, government or the system or whatever you can take. So you no, know, you don't have resources to give certain education or let's say injuring to every child. So what you do is, if the child demands, what is the way to you know curb that demand? So you tell that you it is your mistake. That you failed in the entrance, you did not score in the top ten thousand. It is not our mistake, but ideally somebody has to fail. So you leg- legitimize the failure in that process. You tell the child that onus is on you, it is not on us. But the onus, you know, somebody has to fail it. We have only ten thousand seats. So that is, these are very strange things which are happening in the in the domain of education when we look at education and how we look up to it. And I think again, as I said in the previous, some people who are talking about it, this this. I'll give one more example. It just reminded me of a very interesting example by Professor Wade Davis again. So he talks about, uh, for example, he is from Canada. So he tells us that in in his area, in his community, mountains are considered as sacred. So you know, slowly, slowly, education came and you know, people were more educated and everything. So you know, system started t- telling children, young children, that mountains are not gods, mm. and they are a piece of rock. All right. So you know, ideally, you are taking away the superstition from them. Mm. But what he asks the question is, when they move from being considered as a sacred to a rock, they, they, you know, they are ready to mine it in whatever way possible, not considering the environment. You know, so when you mine it, you are harming the ecosystem. Mm. So Professor Wade Davis is, since he is a Harvard graduate, and he is saying certain people are listening. Isn't where is the ecological footprint of it? How do you? Measure that you know that practice of considering a sacred or God is wrong. 
know how do you how do you fix the the ecological effects of it so i think those people there are a lot of talks like this happening but again they are coming from people who are at a privileged position to talk about only then people are listening that is thing i want to talk about. but that that is uh, amazing i mean very very good examples and that is uh, probably the social and psychological uh basis of uh, you know a lot of problems that are there in our education system because it fails at uh, you know fulfilling or filling gaps which are created uh in our society because we are you know moving from one kind of society to another we are evolving right. we are growing in civilization and all the gaps which are created because of this transition our education systems are not able to fulfill that like i i was reading somewhere uh, recently and they basically talked about the fact that i mean it's it's a known fact that the education system that we have today in india or in africa a lot of places actually it's it's basically designed to produce more and more clerks right because that was that was what was needed 100 years ago but uh, so if you make somebody study like a clerk and then you expect him to be an amazing doctor or an amazing social scientist then the entire expectation is just completely uh, you know baseless <laughs> So yeah, uh, I think. See, I I uh, I will not dwell deeper into it, but this whole clerk thing is this sounding the education videos a lot. Like any education education is to talk about talks about this whole clerk thing, how the Macaulay yeah. thing that he came in and you and everything. But I think there is the other side of the story as well, which is given, which is profoundly given by Professor Krishna Kumar in his book Politics mm. of uh, Education in Colonial India. Okay, so. you know in what people usually believe is that british came in with the idea of uh, again this is very profoundly put i am not the right person to talk about it because the, the professor kishan was the one who is uh, whose ideas i'm borrowing but he very very nicely draws uh, with lot of research draws implications on this so you know people tend to believe that you know uh, the education system was created to produce clerks and and uh, somehow it was uh, british wanted people to people to only uh, do their systemic work in everything but in the, you know the other side of it is what was happening that india was very rooted in its tradition you know and british people wanted to christianity to spread so you know the missionaries were not able to do a lot of work which was supposed to be done and they were finding it difficult because the roots the tradition roots the cultural roots were very very strong and to dismantle it the education system was brought in so what ideally had to be do was people were you know trying to be told through the education that your culture your ideas of sustaining life and everything are inferior and are impractical your idea of god or your idea of living life are all impractical that can only happen through reasoning mm. that cannot happen through building clubs like you know having system which can which only produces class that definitely cannot happen so what you know what ideally was the idea that people started identifying or let's say the super senior positions in the whole idea of culture and the tradition which they have and they accept the more rational religion the more scientific religion christianity in the process that was the idea though they failed miserably in this and there were a lot of critical thinkers which were produced by the system mm-hmm. who started speaking about this whole whole um, damage which was being done by the which in the inside being done by the british mm-hmm. so that way you know uh, professor krishnwar talks about how the system was actually based on a very different criteria or you know idea than what we tend to know of so i i completely agree with that and i think uh, there's an interesting point over here um so in india definitely it failed i mean uh, failed as in from their perspective um we we you know it, christianity did not spread as it was supposed to um but in africa the opposite happened so do you, you think know, they succeeded are, uh, macaulay succeeded in no, nigeria I, and uh, <laughs> kenya and all these places i uh, you know not everywhere so if you see there's a very interesting story of amazon and where if you you know missionaries and gone in and there 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 was a lot of use of cocoa in amazon cocoa right, what happened yeah coco coco the one yeah so uh, you know scientists had gone there and had told them that use of coco is so much of coco is not good for them so they had done lot of research it is given in the book wayfinder you read that book it is also very interesting 
so if the scientists had gone in there and told people that uh, you know uh, in such use, high use of cocoa has very ill effects on your health and you know it is not the ideal thing about that but people were rooted in that idea they tried to push kish missionaries came in and you know tried to tell people that you know the more scientific thing is our religion or practice or whatever but uh, you know people did not heed after some time the uh, you know missionaries uh, left and nothing happened you know a lot of science. then another group of scientists went there after some time and then we then they started uh, you know doing their side of experiment and then they claimed that you know the use of cocoa is very ideal for for them and you know it is it is something which is rooted in their tradition and is very important so what we try to see culture through the lens of science every time i mm. think there is there's also interesting uh, quote by by henry zero this professor uh, henry zero he he gives a culture of positive the positivism is rational mm. so he tells that you know how we are taking rational as the epitome of the rationality as the epitome of seeing things yes. we see science as the scientific science as the only things through only lens through which everything should be seen as but our own understanding of rational our own understanding of science is so science is so limited how can you see through a lens which you don't know completely of or you can never know completely of so he talks about the whole culture which is prevailing in the industry and they are trying to demean the whole anthropological work which is going in the education scenario that's very well put uh, in fact i mean uh, it this brought a smile to my face because uh, i want to share this with the viewers as well i'll put a card uh, on the video as well uh, in the previous uh, episode uh, previous two episodes actually i've been talking with another batchmate of mine his name is uh, narendra joshi and uh, in the first uh, episode we talk only about uh, you know the modern political structures in the second episode we talk about the philosophy of religion and how uh, religion and philosophy impacted political structures and in that also we compare you know indian philosophy or eastern philosophy if you may with western philosophy wherein the western philosophy kind of limits itself to the ration, uh, rationalization of everything and the indian philosophy is more about experiential learning so i think viewers you should definitely watch that episode to understand more what priyank just talked about uh thank you so much for that priyank that is uh, such an you know amazing insight so priyank um this you know so the entire conversation that we are having is is about customizing education systems uh, to the people right um have we tried to do that within the indian education system have we tried to customize it for the indian people yes or no yeah i think both yes and no and i think it is not simple a question as it seems that you know for example if you see it, we are this uh, you know the mayor mentioned that we don't have an ancient language mm. is this is based on the idea that we want cultures to thrive we want people to have a foundation understanding of language because uh, you know for a culture to thrive language is the basis of it. if you see how rapidly so we have scientists agriculturists everything talks more from anything but if the eth- people who are talking about the ethnicities being lost you know our basis are on the basis of the languages being lost and it is we are we are rapidly losing the knowledge the forms uh, because we are because the language is getting lost again the domination of a one particular language across the globe is huge and again we i derive from the derive from my idea of domination of certain languages so that way yes a lot of effort being done to to customize the whole process but again See, if you see uh, if you see nepas the most recent education policy there is a line in there it is very clearly written that education is still considered as primary as a tool for economic development mm. so when you see when you see it as a tool for economic development you have economic aspects attached to it which are of prime concern so not the learnings the sustainability the environmental conservation thing which are which are supposed to come out so when you see from it from a picture of economy you see it as a global gdp where do you stand so when you again talk about the global thing it is you have to derive from economies and how you know how standardization happening you know people take things from models from different countries and instead of doing something or because we 
when you derive something from the global, the self-sustenance part of it is comes into question. So you depend on other economies. So if you see, hmm. um, we see US as a as a hallmark of GDP as you know big content, but it is its economy is so much dependent on anything happens across the globe. US economy gets so it's it's a very dependent economy. So that way, we are also kind of so much of uh, economy being opened and you know we are losing that self-sustenance part of things. So that way, I think we can in the current model we may not have you know very unique customized indian centric as such we have to adhere to the global standardized procedures and again why world bank funds you because you will have certain goals why imf funds you because you have certain aspects so all these things play a complex part uh, to the whole process mm. so i mean these these things are so evident then why don't we have you know uh like you you kept on quoting a lot of professors and uh, out of them only uh, one professor you quoted from india right why don't we have these world renowned educators like there should be an army of such people because our higher education uh, research is of some decent quality why don't we have those people who are you know at world stage telling the world what you're doing is wrong see again see i, I think we have a lot of so if, if you start from Mahatma Gandhi or Vindhagos or Vinayak Tagore, all those people are really renowned in the old times. Now if you see currently, if you see Professor Krishna Kumar, Jashpal, JBJ Tilak, they have those have done you know wonderful work. The problem is not. Okay, let me tell you this with an example. So if you see Assam is having floods hmm. across the country, people don't know. You know, Delhi something happens every child in the country. Similarly. Finland has the best education system. Can you name two educators from there? It is the best education system, but do you know two educators, world-renowned educators from there? How come? It is the best education. So it is more of how Delhi is in the center of mm -hmm. all the attraction, the way US is in the center. And anything happened in the US, being taken from US, talked about in the US, is considered as something which is to be paid heed to. You know, Harvard publishing a paper is as a great deal. Even we want to publish a paper in their journal, not our EPW, their journal. Then it gets the recognition which is which you wanted to have. So that way, I think we have a lot of education which are doing a lot of work. But even though there are countries like Finland who have the best education, so-called, again that is a question mark for a variety of reasons. But we don't know. So that way, I think you know the limelight is somewhere else. That is the reason. So it's just, it's just a matter of uh, bad marketing and not being at the right place at the right time. <laughs> I don't know. We can ever have a good marketing and that per se. But you know, if if somebody has to be recognized, if Professor Kishan Kumar, uh, I had met him in this thing. So there are false uh, flaws in our whole research uh, procedures and you know being done. We know how much of a fake papers we are reproducing and everything. So he also went to Colombia, studied. Uh, there, no, not Columbia, University of Toronto, stayed there and then came back to India, the works get recognized and everything. So that way I think everybody has to go, derive an education and it's very difficult as such to cultivate something and, you know, go on the top because that takes a lot of time. You have to get an education there from the limelight area. For example, if you're a Bihar in India, Bihar guy has to get a line, has to come to Delhi, get an education, then okay, yeah. That way it works like that. Okay. I don't know if we can ever have a good market. <laughs> Yeah, that that makes actually a lot of sense. I mean, I spent some time in Denmark, and uh, when I went there, and I had, was having this, you know, we I used to have detailed discussions with my mentor over there, and I would I, one day I just asked her, why do you think that you guys are the happiest in the world? I mean, I I get it, you're a developed country, and there are certain things that uh, India will probably not have, uh, you know, in the coming decades that you guys already have, but why are you the happiest people? I am happy. I consider myself happy. And then she was, her single line answer was good marketing. So, and that good marketing also is, is very relative because, you know, uh, people, researchers in the US, think tanks in the US started comparing the US with Denmark. So that is why Denmark became <laughs> so important. Right. So, so that's a very important point that you put across. Uh, so, um, we're talking about the education policy, uh, which which came out in 2019, and we also had a discussion about that. Um, wh why do you think it has so many loopholes? 
why do you think with all the knowledge and all these good educators, researchers, scientists, social scientists that we have, why couldn't we come up with a good education policy? What is missing over there? See, uh, it is very difficult to say it is not. Well, of course, it is a very detailed. And I'm again saying that education policy has done wonders. From where I see it, uh, my NCL thesis was on multicultural education and I was looking at the tenets of multicultural education with respect to policies. That mm -hmm. how policies incorporated five basic tenets of education. And this is the recent policy is the only policy which has talked about all the five and the uh, policy before that, 1968 policy, 1986, 92 policy, have not been covered all in the past. Um, you know, I don't know what exact loopholes you you tend to talk about in that sense, but I think we need to understand what basic thing is. If you have a policy, you know, what is the implication? Hmm. No, if any document, what is the implication? Let us say you have a perfect policy. I'm not going into the debate that, you know, it is a it has a loophole, it is not a loophole. Let us say you have a perfect policy. Or let us say even if you have an imperfect policy, whatever is already existing in the policy is good. Let's say there are two good parts. Where do they go? If you talk about 1966 Kothari Commission report, I think tremendous report, you know, it has wonderful work in that report. But what has happened? Where do we lead? What If you have said in the policy that Indian education services should be thought of, the government should bring in something. Is government going to do something like that? No. You know, ever something like this is going to happen, we don't know. Hmm. So, to put in a document which can be interpreted in different ways. So, the third part is you put in a policy, you tell, okay, this is things which are important, this is happening. How do who, how do people at the grassroots level or at the district administration level, how do you interpret this, that policy? How do they implement those policies? That is where the core problem is. The core problem is, I don't think, never will be a very ideal policy because, again, unless the policy in itself is a very cyclic thing. Because it is, I don't understand the idea that you have a policy in 68, then you go to 86, devise it in 92, then you come to 2019, which is still a draft. We have not come up with the final policy. What is the idea behind it? You know, you have to have a policy which keeps getting revised, that keeps getting amended as such, the way we talk about hmm. uh, constitution and hmm. other things. And then, more importantly, we talk about the implementation part of it. Or let's say the, the interpreted part of it. How do people construe the whole policy how do they take leaves out of it and put it in their practice and that is where i think the important part is uh, we you know policy just writing have an indian education service doesn't serve the mm -hmm. government is not saying so what you're saying is like the implementation is missing otherwise the policy talks about all the right things uh, again I'm, I'm not exactly saying that but it does talk about a lot of right things but again when it comes to implementation it doesn't work in tandem Mm. And I, I keep saying that policy has, policy has to be a cyclic thing. We do revise it. So if you see policy comes in, there's a lot of revisions which happen. So that revision has to be continuing. So it, it, is not a, it is not a document which goes through a revision like 86, 6 years you revise it and then put the final. No, I don't think the idea. Keep revising it, keep talking about it. Let it be a flowing draft or mm. let it be a dynamic policy. I don't know. Maybe I am not the policy maker, so I don't know the pitfalls of it. Maybe there are things which I don't understand. That is why it works like that. Maybe when I get in the system, I will know, okay, Priyank, you, what you're saying was complete bullshit. It doesn't happen that way. Maybe that is the case. But again, from where I see it, I, I don't know why it is not a dynamic mm. document. I absolutely agree with you, Priyank, over there. In fact, like when I read uh, certain parts of the policy document, I was just... So I was expecting, maybe I was expecting because of my own biases uh, towards data, but it, it just did not have data. And you know, when you talk about millions of students and you're talking about the third biggest education system in the world, the highest number of universities in the world, you need to have some data somewhere that, you know, into till 2018, this happened. And now we have made a draft of the new education policy in 2019. So it is based on 2018 data. <laughs> so I think, I, yeah. I think that's a very important. I think policy first should first start with, hey, you know, 86, 68, these are the policies which came in. This is the amount of work which has been done in this. Mm. This is what we have been able to achieve. This is what we have not been able to achieve. Mm. This is where the implementation flaws were. Then maybe it is happening at the superior I don't know. Then we should start, start working on having a new policy. Mm. Unless you talk about the previous vision, which are, which are completely lost in thin air, it doesn't make You know why? Next 10 years, we'll have another policy. What is the use of a policy first? You know, you should have a 
have a complete review of what has happened in the past then maybe what you just said 2018 tak kitna hua then we can only you can talk about what we can Right. So you you touched upon something very interesting, which is going to uh, form uh, probably you know the most important question of this entire interaction. Uh, we have had these discussions before uh, about you know if if there was something like the Indian Education Services, we would have uh, both of us probably would apply to it, apply for it, and you know get selected or something, and then start working uh, with the government to change things. things some you know similar things like that are happening like uh, haryana government has its own thing delhi government has recently uh, advertised about fellowships in punjab we something uh, we have something called sangi sikhya so they are getting people and then there are a lot of philanthropic organizations as well like azim prem ji foundation and so on teach for india is there do you think a cadre like the indian education services will help improve things or it's it's uh, something of uh, let's say a childish dream no i think um, you know we should definitely have it not because i think i believe in the idea that it will revamp the education system but i think we need it for now because there are a lot of things which are not working what i also think is if you take the whole what is the belief going around in the in the education system is the bureaucrats you know understand education through experience this is also a good thing but thrown through not the model of education through not the process mm. which the education is going through i'll give an example let's take a smaller entity a, a university if you see the universities who is the administration in, you know who is administrating who is doing the administrative work in the union who is the registrar most of the time the registrar will be an administration guy nothing to do with education how can you have a non education guy in administrating an education why people feel you know feel like thinking that administration doesn't require the knowledge of the education but that is very preposterous you know it it doesn't work that way you know ideal if, if i talk about my university nepa it doesn't have a research now but nepa when i was talking to my vice chancellor he very clearly said this thing that you know we want to have a registrar who is having an education guy who works in the education industry who can because that way he will understand the problems of the industry. the problems of the students are going the things which are supposed to happen so even in a small interest uh, entity of a university when we are looking at registrar who is at the administrative level to be a non education guy think of it this in the broader prospect of the country we where do we see bureaucrats come why not they come from the education sector i think we have to understand this put it as a simple example to the broader context and we have to bring in the people who have done fabulous work through Late entries like this. Hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, so I'm uh, one of my batchmates, you know, from our college only. He he's uh, currently working uh, in the Punjab government as a civil servant, and um, he told me that the maximum amount of funds that any department of the Punjab government gets is the education department because it's the biggest department. They have to pay. salaries of so many people they have to maintain so many facilities buildings then they have to distribute books bags meals everything so they have the maximum amount of money and that is i mean i personally i, I don't have the data to support this but it sounds like it is as big as the indian railways and if indian railways has its own service why why shouldn't the education system have its own service right right so final question uh, priyank it's a, such a stimulating conversation um can you please tell us uh about approaching the new normal uh the forum uh, that you created that's where we met and uh, what do you think why do you think that forum is important and what do you think it will become in the future uh i don't know the last part of it but i'll <laughs> tell what is the idea behind it see i think um, the whole idea was to was to build since we are in times which are unprecedented now we are facing a crisis and somebody that that crisis is an excellent opportunity for that so you know the thought was that we have to understand this in the context so there's something there are a lot of similar things happening across this there's, there's a something called a silver lining for learning which is run by some professors in the us they talk about the whole education system being affected and the measures being taken by different countries so they have speakers from across the globe i had a very you know uh, let's say i had a doubt on that that you know how do you 
how do you talk about a country you know maybe you can talk about a small country but how do you talk about a country like india it is so it's so diverse you know the challenges in delhi will be very different from challenges in northeast challenges in the curriculum will be very different from challenges in the pedagogy or administration or the, uh, other stuff so i think that way the idea was to create a portal where we could bring in these dialogues the discourses where we talk about the impact which covid 19 as such has had on different areas aspects of education whether it be school education higher education curriculum pedagogy teachers teachers or whatever students or let's say context is the northeast south uh, again northeast has lot of states so it is not like west bengal have have it yeah. differently same as let's say just uh, arunachal pradesh or assam so i try to bring in context from uh, different parts of the country and things and i was just trying to ascertain how how the whole covid 19 thing has impacted the education system in different pockets of the country and then talk about how people are uh, you know dealing with it how kerala is having augmented reality and um, you know there are use of ai somewhere and other stuff and how people are dealing with it so that we have to have first have a basic understanding of the issues and how it is prevalent and then we can think of key how do you build a policy around it or how do we sustain it how one pocket of the country can learn from another pocket of the country or global whatever you know how we can have a network of people who can come together to make it a sustaining thing because from where i said covid 19 is go, going nowhere in near future maybe we can see it going somewhere far maybe you know a year down the line i don't know but it is unless and we also don't see a vaccine in close vicinity so the, the basic idea was to see the context and you know understand the how education scenarios exist and what future it holds is something is still a you know is a very open thing i i feel you know when you are open you have possibilities so that way we have a lot of possibilities and it can develop into anything but for now it is just open this possibility that's an amazing statement priyank do you think covid 19 is will prove to be a tipping point for the change in the education system that we all want to see you know i have been you, i i would love to answer this question basically because i think what covid 19 has really done is you know made people ask some questions which had to be asked long back hmm. i'll give you another example so i uh, i had asked this question to professor kishan kumar when i uh, when i met him that you know why why do we have quetual system why is there are age appropriate classes why why is the student ability grouping why not have a flexible system why a certain amount of subject has to be certain uh, studied in certain amount of time only and in certain year only why now why do you like this so and you know there's lot of uh, mugging up happening students don't just somehow mug it up and vomit it out in the exam why is that and all that there's a lot of questions so he gave a well answer to all that he told me that you know you, in that year itself we had a we had an uh, exam which were whose papers were leaked so the cbsc has put down a notice that you know we will have reexam mm-hmm. so students were out on the streets there are protests happening that you know we can't have reexam this is a mental burden i don't understand how that is a big of a burden but still this is a mental burden and you know uh, we cannot give reexams parents are protesting students are protesting and university had to say okay we'll have reasons only in the area which where cheating happened over there something like that happened so you know keshavar told me the same thing you know why do you think that people when know of all these things they know the system is based on mugging up stuff the system is not suited to child then why don't people go on street no if they go on streets and today keep protesting that we don't want a system which is based on exam clearing exam and all this we want a different system then government has to do something about it but it doesn't do because people don't protest why people don't protest something you should think of you know mm-hmm. and again who was the person who was protesting was the what the protest happening in villages you know uh, who who exactly were the people who were protesting those people who were coming from cities you know they were people who had all the resources that students could re study a particular exam but still they were protesting so the privilege of protest being limited to certain kind and then the whole system he said was based on convenience that you know if you have k12 it is easy for the system to be handled for people to be monitored to 
for people to produce uh, students' education. You'll have to put efforts to have a different kind of system. That will require energy, investment, and that will require a lot of more, lot more of resources. The government doesn't want to do because people are not, you know, potentially protesting against. It. So that is one thing. So coming up back to your question, that uh, COVID-19 has started asking some important questions. That, for example, that you know, we are saying that online education is flexible. That student can learn, and uh, they can craft things, and the teacher can teach. They can redo the part, and student has also voice. That you know, they can raise their voice against some pattern, or they they are not liking that thing. And I don't understand why there was no voice even earlier. Why, when teacher walked into the class, students were so much fearful. You know, they had to sit in one corner and only listen, no asking questions. Very dreading, dreadful. So, the whole agency which has come to students. The voice which has come to me had had to existed always, but I am amazed and I am amazed and also amused that now we are asking these questions. But I think COVID-19 has opened the box of questions. I just want that even if COVID-19 goes or stays, this box should not be closed. Let's keep asking those questions more and more. Well, that's amazing. And then and on that note, I think um, I'm going to conclude the interview. uh thank you so much priyank for doing this it was an amazing uh, you know interview and you talked about so many things which i think a lot of educators also don't know about about the indian education system uh and well there you go guys this is priyank he he speaks very clearly about a lot of things and he's done his research about it um if you have any questions uh, about priyank or approaching the new normal uh you can uh, definitely you know look in the description i'll share the contact details and you can also visit the forum that uh, we are part of now approaching the new normal and you'll see a lot more of these questions uh, being asked and a lot more conversations happening thank you priyank thank, thank you, you sir thank you sir for having me thank you